Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take for July 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, Boyce Olson. It is the heat of summer and our cities seem to be getting all of the attention. It was a big news week for both our core cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, with elections on the horizon in both cities just for the city council. There's a battle about the future policies of our cities and There's been much made about kind of crime, but it's more than public safety as an issue. Even though Cedric Alexander announced that he'll retire this month, it's really about how do you attract the people, the capital, and the future vibrancy to our cities to keep them going. They are critical to the overall economy of our state. They are critical to the quality of life of our suburbs. And so are we headed in the right direction in our cities? You know, obviously, Minneapolis gets a lot of attention. So this week, we're going to focus on St. Paul. We're going to talk to two folks who are involved on the business side, Amanda Dewar from the Chamber and Joe Spencer from the Downtown Alliance. We're going to ask, are they feeling like St. Paul, that quiet other city in the core, is it? positioned for success. That will be the subject of the take. And Amanda Dewar is up next on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. The first conversation this week is about this kind of what's the state of St. Paul? And joining me is Amanda Dewar. She's the Vice President of Government Affairs for the St. Paul Area Chamber of Commerce. And the chamber really is kind of at the center of the future, these referendums, um, commerce, downtown, the neighborhoods, the region of the East Metro. She joins me now on Sunday Take. Amanda, thanks for joining me. Thanks for the invite. So let's just start by, you know, a couple uh, referendums approved by the city council this week, infrastructure being a continual challenge for St. Paul and something that, you know, based on tax base, nonprofit government buildings, um, court cases, you know, there's a case to be made that they're at a little bit of a disadvantage, but just in general, as you approach, uh, you know, these issues, you get a sense of where um, the business community's mindset is post-pandemic uh, in St. Paul and the East Metro. How are people feeling about the direction of the city based on government, based on the economy, et cetera? Sure. Thank you. And I think we would definitely agree. Um, there is a real challenge when it comes to property tax base here. And with the number of government buildings and nonprofits, certainly we recognize that challenge and it's real. And that's one of the reasons that we were so supportive in the legislature this past session in pushing for additional local government aid for the city of St. Paul, recognizing it is a, the state's capital city yep. and it provides a lot of services. So, you know, maybe some more state support there. But you know, that does spill over into um, just the economic climate in general. And I, I, frankly, I think a lot of businesses are 
feeling a bit worn down, whether it be the 14.7% uh, property head tax levy increase last year, you know, the proposal for the sales tax, the um, early childhood property tax referendum that will be on the following year. And frankly, the rent control market, which has all but stalled development in the city of St. Paul, which you know, further hampers the property tax base and the vitality of the city. So yeah, I think there are a lot of challenges. When you talk to city leaders, and um, I want to kind of hear what they tell you about, you know, this kind of multitude of of issues when it comes to property tax base, growth and development. I know, you know, the Downtown Alliance announced they wanted to attract up to 30,000 more downtown residents. Um, one of the things that's kind of out in the future, we just don't know how far is kind of reset on commercial property taxes based on office building values. Downtown St. Paul has had its own challenges with vacancy. Is it your sense that city leaders know they have some challenges and are they talking about solutions or are they, um, are they in denial? Um, I think there is some recognition of the challenges, and I think that is part of the reason that the administration is is floating this um, sales tax to uh, get at another angle and to get, you know, some, like the messaging they use as some folks from outside of the city to, to contribute. But, you know, just to be clear, the the sales tax proposal it would cover about the reconstruction of about 43 miles of roads in the city and you know a very limited list of projects so i don't think it's necessarily the all encompassing solution that it's presented to be because there are a whole lot of other um streets that need to be um maintained and upgraded um, that will still be on the normal assessment and property tax level. So I, I think at the city council meeting, um, council member Prince had a, had a line of questioning to that effect, like, okay, this is, this is only a very partial solution and there, there are still going to be property tax implications moving forward. Amanda Dewar is my guest. She's the vice president of government affairs for the St. Paul area chamber of commerce. We're talking about St. Paul this week and, and some of the challenges. When the when the Chamber of Commerce goes through priorities, where do you prioritize the initiatives, the effort, the your members and the business community want to see? Um, apologies, it kind of broke up for a minute, but sure. I believe you asked about our priorities as a chamber, yep. correct? Yep. Yeah, and correct. so, yep, we have, um, I like to say we are very um, community focused in our priorities, very bread and butter type of issues. Like our top advocacy priorities for 2023 are addressing public safety and, and housing um, because they're kind of the fundamentals of, of, of having a vibrant community uh, Folks need to feel safe going to work. They need to feel safe out in the community um, doing business and coming into the community. And folks need to have a safe place to live. Um, so these are like the real issues that we're going 
um, very deeply into, but then also just, you know, having a economic climate that um, promotes business growth, job growth, economic expansion, builds the property tax base. You know, I would say that's where our priorities lie. Um, And how, as you look forward to the city council elections this year, when you look through the races, my sense is that St. Paul has held a kind of a moderate uh, council. It's balanced with the mayor. The council's disagreed with the mayor on some pretty initi- pretty big initiatives. Um, but it, you know, there's I think three or four retirements from the council. Yeah. New candidates seem to be a little more progressive, maybe more aligned with the further left side of the DFL. What's your sense? Are there candidates that that align with you know a more kind of economic, uh, more growth minded view of uh, of St. Paul? Yes. So we, um, my colleague and I, are have extended invites out um, to all of the candidates who are running, and you know we've been meeting with them just to get to know them, get to know their priorities, tell them about uh, the chamber's priorities and just start to build that relationship. Um, we haven't met with, with everybody yet. And, you know, not, not everyone yet has responded to take us up on the meetings, but, you know, um, I am encouraged by, by, by some of the conversations so far. I think there are people running who recognize that, um, Rent control has done a disservice to the city and its development and its property tax base and our, its housing challenge. And um, even though there are certainly entities that are pushing candidates to um, remove the exemptions that are in place, like the the 20-year new construction and allowing for vacancy increases. I mean, there's certainly interest groups that want a very pure rent control, but I've had some very positive conversations with with candidates who, you know, don't feel like that would be the right direction to go. Just as we wrap here, um, uh, what are the neighborhood issues that you hear about? You know, I used to have an office on Grand Avenue. Um, Obviously, the pandemic challenged urban retail in a big way. That's not an easy fix. Um, But what are the neighborhood economic issues that people are feeling, talking about, business owners challenged with that the city, you know, might need to just, whether it's in, you know, administration and regulatory or the political side, need to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I am hearing a lot just about... um, kind of the the basics of city government and city services like concerns about like snow plowing or you know street maintenance like like why isn't this more of a priority and especially certain neighborhoods feel a bit more left behind than others within the city there and uh, public safety is everywhere um people um bringing that up as a big priority for them. You know, I think there's, depending on the neighborhood, there there's different specific challenges that, that they're facing. Being housed downtown, you know, you hear a lot of it. 
um, in relation to the light rail as well um, and concerns there. So, yeah, I would say pretty universal and and taxes, frankly, you know, property taxes are are definitely a a concern with businesses and residents alike. Um, I lied. One more topic here because it's out on the horizon a little more, but I think it sparks a discussion is this idea of, you know, another property tax uh, assessment still to be worked out about, but on the 2024 ballot about childcare. Childcare is an issue that even businesses want to yeah. handle. Is there a different mode that the chamber believes is, is more feasible or is it just such a statewide issue that the city trying to tackle it might just be too big? Well, I mean, w- w- we did provide public comments um, to that effect at, at the council meeting as well. But yeah, I mean, it obviously is a priority and business recognizes that early childhood education is really fundamental for the future workforce. And obviously parents need to have childcare options. So that is not the issue at all, but it is such a large issue that it is more appropriately a, a, a statewide issue. And just the fact that we are going to the ballot in November to ask citizens to raise their taxes to fund very basic core municipal functions, and then to think about, you know, taking on the administration of a large um, early childhood initiative. Do they have the either the capacity or, you know, the expertise to do that? And it, it, it just seems a little outside the scope of city government. Got it. Amanda Dewar, I know there's plenty to talk about. We'll be watching those city council elections down the road here on Sunday Take. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. When we come back, more on the state of St. Paul, our capital city. There's a lot going on there, and it kind of gets overshadowed sometimes by Minneapolis. But we want to dive deep. When we come back, more on that topic and this week's take. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Final guest this morning on Sunday Take is Joe Spencer. He is all, uh, he knows St. Paul really well. He's the head of the Downtown Alliance, uh, a group that is bringing plans and strategy back to downtown St. Paul. They recently announced they want to add residents to downtown St. Paul, but he's been in and around St. Paul politics and policy for a long time. And he joins me now on Sunday Take. Joe, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I'll, let's just start with the Downtown Alliance's big news a couple weeks ago, which was trying to attract and find a way to get 30,000 new residents in downtown St. Paul. There's currently a little over 10,000 residents in downtown St. Paul. What what could be the catalyst to drive density and residents to downtown St. Paul? Yeah, you know, um, we actually, we, we've, we've had that goal and sort of used it internally for Uh, a number of years, even dating back before the pandemic, it it stems from uh, some work done by the International Downtown Association. It's basically, you know, organizations like like the Downtown Council of Minneapolis or the Downtown Alliance in St. Paul um, across the country. And they did this study. It's a, a, they called it the Downtown Vitality Index. And and what that showed was that, sort of the most vibrant downtowns in America have roughly 
10 to 15% of the citywide population living in downtown. They have about half of the citywide jobs as well. And so we took a look at that and sort of benchmarked it against downtown St. Paul. Um, and we, we had some really rapid growth in, uh, in residents in downtown. The number has uh, really doubled uh, over the last 10 years. Um, uh, but, you know, even at doubling gets us to 10,000, we're at 3% of the citywide population. And, and so that's, that's where the, that's where the number came from. 30,000 residents gets us to, to close to 10% of the citywide population. That is obviously an ambitious goal. It represents tripling uh, our, our current downtown population. Uh, but again, that was in place before the pandemic. Fast forward to today. And um, what we see is uh, in, in the, the commercial real estate space, we're seeing employers uh, across the country, and it's true in St. Paul as well, having the the, the flight to quality that is is um, is is not just a, a saying. It's something we kind of see play out every day. People looking for maybe a little less space, but higher quality space and a better building, better location, better management. Um, and uh, and and so we have in downtown St. Paul a kind of a abundance of Class B and C spaces. Um, the other thing that we have in downtown St. Paul is is something that has historically frustrated us in our efforts to attract employers. Uh, employers today tend to want to have larger floor plates, something in the neighborhood of 30,000 square feet. Yep. We have, for whatever kind of quirk of history and architecture and abundance of buildings, uh, the, the sort of the the base St. Paul building is like 10,000 to 12,000 square feet. And that has been frustrating our efforts to attract employees or employers rather. Um, however, when we, when we sort of turn the page and, uh, and, and look to bring more balance to the number of users that are in downtown. So not only is it a central business district and an entertainment district, but we also want, again, people living there, uh, all of a sudden, this becomes one of our, our kind of great kind of assets. This quirk um, sort of converts from being a bug to a feature. So uh, I think it's something we're, we're, we're quite capable of. Obviously, this is not a three-year or overnight kind of plan. This is a, a long-term vision, but I'm really bullish. I think, um, I think downtown St. Paul's best days are, are ahead of us. Joe Spencer's my guest. We're talking about the, the mood of St. Paul and our capital city. Joe, you know, you think about um, the progress St. Paul has made over, let's just say, maybe the last decade. You think of how, um, you know, the new development in front of Excel on a vacant parking ramp and kind of the reactivation of what, you know, is West downtown, I'll call it. And then CHS Field and some of the housing that's popped up and the vibrancy of East downtown it's really that central district that, you know, in my 30 years back in Minnesota, um, just hasn't seemed to get those employers. Are there specific properties or owners that really see this housing as an opportunity to convert some of this commercial space? Because, you know, Minneapolis, several other cities are looking at this, but one of the challenges is just, can you do it in certain buildings without it being cost, you know, cost being a barrier? No, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll start by saying again. I think this this notion of the central business district was probably never a great idea. It's what led to these ideas about 
St. Paul's sidewalks rolling up at five o'clock and that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, the reality is if you have people who are only there nine to five, right. And there's nobody living there. Yep. If you're not in the entertainment district, um, right. I mean, the, the sandwich shops are going to close, right. That that's, that's, that was almost by design. And so I think, uh, again, getting away from that and starting to reintegrate a diverse mix of users. So you've got somebody who's going to go run groceries or, uh, you know, take the dog for a walk or, or, or what have you out there animating the, street, the, 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 the streetscape, grabbing coffee, you know, basically spending dollars at those storefronts. I think that's going to be really uh, kind of critical. And we're seeing where that has happened. We have the most kind of healthy and vibrant downtown environment, as you said, around Rice Park area or down in lower town around Mears Park. So in the, in the core, um, you know, the, the, the other kind of thing that has been kind of quietly happening is we've been converting uh, commercial spaces to residential spaces for a while. When I, when I talk about doubling the population, uh, that has happened probably 50% through new construction and 50% through conversion. I'm thinking about places like the uh, Pioneer Endicott building uh, that got converted to apartments, Press House Apartments. A lot of the lofts in Lower Town um, were, um, were or office spaces. Uh, well, formerly, originally they were warehouse spaces, then they became office spaces, and then they become kind of live work or or, or just residential spaces. So it's something that's happening a lot. But the thing that, that I think you point out or imply is, is important to reflect on. It's not as if our organization can go in and sort of you know, wholesale make these changes, nor can the city government. This isn't, we don't live in China where you can just go in and sort of use central planning to affect these kinds of changes. These are things that are going to happen kind of naturally through the marketplace. But what we wanted to put out is a statement that says, this is a good thing for downtown St. Paul. And to the extent that we can create policies that will support that or accelerate that, those are the kinds of things that we're looking to do. And so that's a big part of what our announcement was, is we've assembled a, com a, a steering committee led by Chris Hilger from the CEO of Securian and Christoph Beck, the CEO of Ecolab, um, along with a bunch of uh, leaders from economic development institutions, including the city, the county, the Met Council, uh, the Port Authority, the Chamber of Commerce, Visit St. Paul, kind of across the board, uh, all of our kind of key leaders to come together and say, what are our, our best strategies to sort of achieve that level of growth, that level of density, and that level of vitality. And so we're in the middle of that prog that, that process right now. Uh, we started it in January. We'll wrap up in this coming January. And so uh, we're in the middle of the, the kind of process of doing the deep kind of market analysis and, and really looking at the numbers, looking at national trends, uh, but also looking at the immediate opportunities in front of us. Which ones are going to have the biggest leverage? Which ones are going to spark um, the 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 most kind of uh, or, or stimulate um, the most economic development surrounding them. Those are the kinds of things we're looking at right now, and we'll be doing uh, again some community engagement and continuing that study, working through what will inevitably be a kind of um, a push and pull kind of negotiation with those key leaders. And and our goal is to come out of this thing with with one common hymnal, so we're all all singing the same tune. Joe, that's a great pivot point for kind of my next thought or query is just policy strategy for the city. This last week, there was obviously two referendums coming, one around roads and infrastructure, one in 2024 around childcare. Um, you know, there's likely to be, there. there is going to be a lot of new members of the city council, uh, Mayor Carter in his second term. 
do you feel like there's a strategy that synchronizes with government or is that something that still needs to be worked on? That's a lot of what caused us to want to bring this group together and engage in some kind of deep thinking through a process collectively so that we do have a kind of clear roadmap. So it doesn't feel like, um, you know, we, we just have a number of great ideas and no sense of which one should come first. And if we just look at the, the economic development project specifically, we've got the county leading on the River's Edge project. We've got the the River Balcony project. There's the central station needs to get redeveloped. The, the city is sitting on the River Center parking ramp and we need a convention center hotel. The St. Joe's campus needs to be repurposed. So we have a number of really potentially transformative projects and everybody is supportive of all of them. They're all great projects, um, but we do need to kind of come together and figure out which one are, are we all going to sort of put on the, on the board as our number one priority or the most urgent priority, get that done and then move on to the next one together. Are there cities that you look to that have had this challenge or are seeking the challenge that have taken on any, you know, policy changes, tax changes, investment opportunities as cities or, you know, in kind of, you know, public-private partnerships um, that maybe St. Paul can model itself after? You know, uh, the great thing about uh, my job, the thing, frankly, I, I may love the most is, is actually being connected to a cohort of people who run downtown organizations across the country. They're all, we're all people who love downtowns. We're all people who are like, at the end of the day, super practical. We've got a problem to solve or an opportunity to seize, and we're going to do what we can uh, to get that done. Uh, and so, yeah, as, as we look around, I mean, a couple of the things I'm really fascinated by and interested in is if you look at... Um, you know, it, it, it's it's somewhat hard to remember that like lower Manhattan in the 90s was a, a not so great place to be there. It was a, a kind of scary place. It was the classic business district that was um, totally basically abandoned at night. Obviously, there was there was some action during the daytime, but it wasn't a great place. And uh, it was actually the state who implemented a uh, a tax abatement program to incent the creation of housing units. And they created, I think, 30,000 housing units over the next 15 years uh, through that program. Philadelphia did a similar th- similar program with its, uh, its center city uh, uh, abatement program, and it led to just uh, tremendous um, uh, growth. And that was, I think, in the, in the 2000s. Calgary has done something similar. Boston just announced a very uh, kind of aggressive uh, uh, stimulant, stimulus program to, to help uh, accelerate and subsidize uh, the creation of, of, of housing in their, in their downtown environment. So we are looking to other cities to, to sort of lear- learn from best practices. We don't have to necessarily invent something from whole cloth. We can work uh, with, with uh, the innovations that are kind of already led the way and then make sure that they work for St. Paul. Joe, one of the things that, you know, the chamber has highlighted, others have highlighted, it's something we've watched closely, is, you know, the the cap on rents in St. Paul. Do you hear from anybody that that's a barrier? Is that something that needs to be adjusted? Um, and, you know, you have a new city council likely coming in. Any Any sense that that keeps capital out of the city right now? Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, I won't speak about anywhere other than downtown, but I know that it really put the the, the brakes on uh, residential development, the creation of housing in downtown. Uh, we had quite a lot of momentum uh, 
Uh, and it wasn't the, it wasn't necessarily the pandemic that put the brakes in that if you look at downtowns across the country, uh, you're seeing still a lot of residential growth. The, the reality is there are demographic trends that are sort of pulling people uh, into more and more multifamily housing and, and more and more urban environments. And so that that um, that really puts the wind in the sails of, of residential growth in downtown. We haven't quite seen as much of that. We have some. We've, we've had some progress and we've got some more projects coming online, but I think it it, it definitely did uh, slow things down. I, I'm really interested in exploring, you know, w- what the viability of perhaps exempting downtown. We, we all know that I think, you know, downtowns are going, you know, have some unique challenges relative to, uh, to so, some of the culture changes. The pandemic was hard on downtowns. I think there's a good case to be made that there's good reason for the whole city to embrace maybe some unique policies for downtown St. Paul. And I think exploring uh, perhaps uh, what the the rent stabilization or rent control um, might look like for downtown or not look like for downtown is something I'm, I'm really interested in. Any, um, any last thoughts on, you know, you talk about obviously the floor plate issue with large employers, but, you know, as I look uh, at you know, opportunities in St. Paul, there, there also appears to be some great locations in St. Paul. Are, have people, I mean, I know employers aren't necessarily, you know, looking for massive changes, but people are moving. And it would seem that um, employers might find value and opportunity in St. Paul in medium, you know, large size businesses where they do want their workforce together, even if it is a flexible workforce that they don't need as much space. So um, has there been, you know, any kind of interest or others looking to move their business to downtown St. Paul? Yeah, we do have some tremendous sites uh, available. Frankly, uh, we have tre- tremendous sites that are right on, not just on the banks of the Mississippi River, but but downtown St. Paul. And again, some of these development sites, whether we're talking about uh, the River's Edge or, or even the, the Ramsey County uh, has an office building that's just this gorgeous old building at, at Robert and Kellogg that overlooks the, the the river. But one of the interesting things about the topography here is that where we have the river, it, it, it comes up from the south and then sort of makes its bend right uh, right at downtown St. Paul and then heads heads down to the south and east. And um, and it's the the opportunity where you have uh, these amazing vistas where you can look both upstream and downstream and at a point where the, the Mississippi River really kind of grows up. Downtown St. Paul is the last of the river gorge. And then as it, as it heads downstream from there, the, the, the bluffs kind of fall away. The river widens out and becomes really the river that the rest of the country knows as the Mississippi River. So there's some great opportunities. There's some great sites. I think there's a lot of interest, frankly. One of the bigger challenges we have right now is just uh, it's not a great time to finance uh, right. new commercial uh, construction. And so, uh, and, and the other thing is that uh, it is a moment of transition. And so having, you know, people who are looking to move are looking to move relatively quickly, but people are hesitant to make commitments that are maybe five years out, uh, you know, for, for new construction, for something, uh, you know, a, a nice new building in the bluff of the river with class A office space. So I'd say that is one of our challenges, but I think that as with all things to do with the market is cyclical and, and that'll come back. So we need to put ourselves in the best position so that as the market turns, we're in the right position, the best position to, uh, to, to sort of strike when the, when the iron is hot. 
you couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think those five-year outlooks and where interest rates and cost of capital is right now is one of the barriers for planning. I know I hear that from a lot of people. Joe Spencer, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Thank, appreciate it. The Take is next, and we'll be back on News Talk 830 WCCO. This week's take is really about the cities. But first, a message from Minnesota Corn. Hey, Farm Fest is coming up next week. We're going to have some great content presented by Minnesota Corn. But I always enjoy my drive out to Western Minnesota, my conversations with farmers, with corn growers, to hear how things are. Where are their challenges? Where are their opportunities? And we know that Minnesota corn growers and Minnesota corn farmers have been at the center point of creating new products, sustainable new products. You just think about the efforts and the research and the investment they've put into making sure that cleaner fuels are more available across the state, available on more pumps. It's something that they thought of years ago. They did the work. They found a way and they continue to capitalize. Lower cost fuels, things like that. The other thing is, what are they doing to make sure farmers can farm more sustainably into the future? That's part of Minnesota Corn Growers' real work and center point of the future of farming. What is the future of soil health? It's farmers who want healthy soils. It's farmers who want to put into place the practices that keep that land vibrant and bountiful. So sustaining the farm is the farmer's first goal. And that's what Minnesota corn growers are trying to do every single day for the future of Minnesota and the future of the environment. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota corn. Look, It's easy to criticize the cities. It's easy to look at public safety as a major issue. But there's more to that. And I want to have optimism. I want these cities to have a strategy. Minneapolis and St. Paul need it. And one of the strategies has to be how do you get value for your dollars in the property tax system and maintain a vibrancy there. And I believe it has to be that cities start to make things more simple. Let's just start with the value of property tax dollars. I hear from a lot of homeowners in the city that say, my streets aren't great. My plowing's not great. The schools aren't awesome. Public safety's an issue. What am I paying for? And I think that the cities are a really good place to say, what are we paying for? How is it going? I think you have to get back to the core basic services. My last thought on Minneapolis is you have a school district on the verge of bankruptcy, but nobody seems to be paying attention or having any urgency to deal with it. In fact, the school board took the month of July off. And so I would urge that our cities find urgency. In St. Paul, which we talked about this show, 
they're looking at adding the property tax rolls, and some of it is needed. Infrastructure in St. Paul is important. They have a property tax base that includes a lot of government, nonprofit universities that don't pay property taxes, but obviously the streets, the sidewalks, and the infrastructure are still used by those entities. So finding a way to recapitalize infrastructure for the long term is a St. Paul priority. It should be. But that's after a 14% property tax increase last year. That's after declining enrollment in your schools. That's after roads that don't get plowed and potholes that don't get filled. Meanwhile, they raise the flag and try to influence massive new infrastructure that would halt commerce on I-94 or rent control that stifled development. It's time to get back to the basics in our cities and look at the value for the dollar. The impending challenges to commercial office properties and the taxes they pay, which will mean less revenue to the cities, is likely only to put it back on homeowners and residents. The cities need plans. They need a strategy and they need a vision to be vibrant, to be livable. And it can't all be driven by higher costs. So let's get creative, leaders. And in St. Paul, a place that I have a soft spot for, please find a way to think differently than just raising taxes or provide the value people expect through vibrant and awesome commercial corridors to roads that work and a neighborly attitude that St. Paul's always had better than Minneapolis. I'm Blaise Olson. That's this week's take. I'll be with Vanita 620 Monday through Thursday, and next Sunday we'll be back here. Follow along all week at fluence-newsletters.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.